have you turn to John chapter 18, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, verses 33 through 40 will be our text, which means that we will come to the end of this chapter, finally, and uh, that leaves us with three chapters to go. It's been quite a journey through the Gospel of John. And I can't tell you how long it's been since we started, but I'll, I'll check the archives. <laughs> After that long night, and the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane there. In his agony, he prayed before his father. knowing what was to come right around the corner before the sun would ever rise a mob would come led by Judas Iscariot temple guards that is the temple Herod's temple temple guards assigned by the chief priests and the Sanhedrin and they came to arrest Jesus. And after Jesus identifies himself by using the name that is the name of God, the I am, the ego eimi, and the power of God surging through his voice, causing all who came, close to 600 people, to fall back. Just an indication of who he was to them. He voluntarily went with them. He let them take him to a series of illegal trials before Annas, who had been the high priest but was now more of a political figure with the Jewish people, to his son-in-law Caiaphas, who was now the high priest. And Caiaphas, after waiting for the sun to rise, also that he could take whoever was there with him of the Sanhedrin and condemn Jesus to death for blasphemy, would they then take him as part of their plot and their plan to Pontius Pilate, Because theirs was a desire for Jesus to die in the worst possible way. Not so much by stoning, though they had tried many times. It, was, it wasn't time and it wasn't the means. As we learned last week from the very law itself, Jesus came to die on a cross. He came to die on a tree. For as the law states in the book of Deuteronomy, the cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. And Jesus came to take on the curse of sin that we all had upon himself. After they condemn him, 
They take him to Pontius Pilate, and that's where we are here this morning. First of all, of course, we know that the priests had spoken to Pontius Pilate, but they didn't enter into the judgment hall at the Praetorium because it was Passover and they didn't want to become ceremonially unclean. They were going to celebrate Passover that evening. So they would not step into what they considered an unclean place. But of course they let Jesus go. And now we read in verse 33, then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews? But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? When he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said, saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But you have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. I hope that you noticed as we read through that text the number of questions that were asked, primarily by Pilate, but also by Jesus. This is a passage of true interrogation. What Annas and Caiaphas did was more to establish their position in taking Jesus to the cross. They themselves, because of what they did, were judged by the things that they did. Pilate, on the other hand, was truly seeking some answer as to why this Jewish man was brought by Jewish authorities before him. So the preliminary meeting between the hypocritical Jewish religious leaders and Pontius Pilate was centered around Pilate's question to those who brought Jesus to him back in verse 29. We looked at this last week. Centered around the question, what accusation bring ye against this man? 
And while Pilate tried to evade the issue altogether by putting the responsibility back on the Jewish leaders to judge him according to their law, they called Jesus a malefactor. They called him a bad doer, a, an evildoer, a criminal. And as we saw last time, Luke recorded three accusations that will bring us to another question. And so I urge you to look at Luke 23, verses 1 and 2, and keep your finger there or a bookmark there because we will come back to it later. But in Luke 23, verses 1 and 2, it said, The whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. Of course, this is in conjunction with what we see in the Gospel of John. And then in verse 2, it says, And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. Now rather than consider that as two accusations, they are literally three accusations. He per- they, they said he perverted the nation, which we studied last time and realized that he didn't. That he forbid to give tribute to Caesar, which again was a lie because he told everybody, give unto Caesar with the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God or God's. And then of course, thirdly, that he himself called himself a king. And it was those last two accusations, issues that would have piqued the interest of any Roman governor, that brought Pontius Pilate to ask Jesus the question that is recorded by each of the gospel writers. You will find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as we see it here. The question, art thou the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? And first, his question can be seen as one asked in astonishment. Are you the king of the Jews? It brings us back to a a picture given prophetically of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. He had nothing in, what, in how he looked that made him stand out. Nonetheless, he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Then you have to consider what took place between the time that The mob took him and brought him then eventually to Pontius Pilate. All the things that happened to him. I'm sure he wasn't given a room where he could go take a shower or do whatever and and clean himself up. Nothing about Jesus suggests that he was royalty. He was obviously poor. I don't understand where the word of faith people said that he was very rich and he was always living in big houses. Jesus himself said, you know, the son of man didn't have a place to lay his head. He was obviously poor. And then he had been up all night having endured not only the agony of the garden of Gethsemane, but had been bullied by the Sanhedrin and beaten by the temple guards. But what, what Pilate noticed was that Jesus didn't exhibit any fierce traits, any fanaticism that Romans were accustomed to from Jewish insurrectionists. And they were always dealing with Jewish insurrectionists. 
starting riots here and there, here and there against the Romans. And so Jesus was certainly a different kind of king than Pilate would have expected. And make no assumptions, people. Make no assumptions. Pilate was well informed on Jesus' recent activities. I am sure that Pilate was made aware of Jesus' ride into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey to the cries of Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. That didn't go unnoticed by the Romans. They checked everything. They would have been a terrible army if they hadn't checked everything. They were as fierce as they was because they didn't let anything go get by them. Add to that the fact that Messiah's uh, messianic expectations were always heightened, especially during the Jewish feasts celebrated in Rome-controlled Jerusalem, but even more during the Passover, when it was not uncommon for a Jewish zealot or messianic pretender to stir the people into a riot or rebellion against Rome. This was, this was the reason the empire sent Pontius Pilate to Jerusalem during that feast. And he, as we, as we noticed last time, he was hateful enough toward the Jews and bitter enough to have been taken out of his comfortable Roman pleasures in Caesarea to put his foot down on the neck of any messianic troublemakers. And if we knew anything about Pontius Pilate, he was glad to do it. It would appear initially that he would feel safe, though, and unworried in asking about this Jesus kingship but what we find in our text is that Pilate wasn't prepared for Jesus answer going back to verse 34 it says Jesus answered him sayest thou this thing of thyself or did others tell it thee of me now more than likely based on all the gospel accounts, more than likely Jesus' first response to the question was the simple statement recorded by Matthew in Matthew 27, verse 11. And again, notice how it all correlates here. Jesus stood before the governor, that being Pontius Pilate, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? Pilate didn't repeat himself. He asked the question that one time. Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. Literally, it says, Jesus said, It is as you say. Thou sayest. It is as you say. And as often as Jesus did this, he, he answered Pilate with a question. Pilate asked a question. Jesus answers with a question. So are you the king of the Jews? It's as you say. Ah. So are you saying this based on your own initiative and resourcefulness? Or did others tell you about me? You see, what needs to be understood in this question asked by Jesus is that the Lord wasn't evading the issue. He acknowledged the fact that he was a king. He didn't play around that. 
But what we need to understand is the question that he asks. He wasn't evading the issue, he was forcing Pilate to clarify the issue for his own sake, for Pilate's own sake. Because in Jesus' line of questioning, the Lord wasn't the one on trial. Pilate was. People forget something about Jesus. He's still the Son of God. He's still the Messiah of Israel. Doing what he knows he has to do. Because if he doesn't do what he does, then we're all in trouble. So anyone before Jesus is on trial. So the question was referring actually to these thoughts. What kind of king was Pilate referring to? What kind of king are you referring to here? If, if it were a nationalistic, heathen type of king, political type of king as it were, Jesus could then be considered some type of a rebel. But if he was thinking along the lines of a Jewish kind of king, then it would be more of a religious matter. What are you doing before me? But here's what I find to be quite significant. And that is that Pontius Pilate would call Jesus king at least four times in the Gospels. He would call Jesus king at least four times and would even use that title on the sign that would be placed at the top of the cross when Jesus was crucified. Take for example John 18 verse 39. We'll get back to this verse a little later but notice what it says. But you have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? He calls Jesus the king of the Jews. Was he being flippant? Was he being facetious? Probably so. But the fact that he calls him that is significant. Go on to verse 1 of chapter 19. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Now understand, Pilate took him and scourged him, had Jesus beaten to kind of please the Jews a little bit. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns. So understand that all the things that are happening here are coming from Pilate. The soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. That, and, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews! It wasn't just the soldiers. Pilate brought him there for that purpose. And they smote him with their hands. Jump down to verse 14. The same chapter. And it was the preparation of the Passover at about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. I will get to that soon. Verse 19 of the same chapter, Pilate wrote a title, put it on the cross. The writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. 
The Jews themselves were infuriated. Take that down, but he wouldn't. Why? I don't honestly know. But I believe that because all of this was taking place under the determinate and predetermined counsel of God's will, it was to make it very clear the one who has gone to the cross is truly my son. The one who has gone to the cross is truly the king of the Jews. Getting back to Pilate and Jesus during that session of interrogation. The tables were turned because of Jesus' one question. And Pilate was on the hot seat. It wasn't standard for a criminal or a prisoner or one accused of certain crimes to ask questions of the interrogator, especially if he's the governor of, of, of Judea. Pilate was on the hot seat because Jesus put him there. And Pilate didn't like it. Notice his answer in verse 35. Am I a Jew? And I'm sure he said in the most harsh way. Am I a Jew? Who do you think I am? But immediately... He's still concerned about this Jesus standing in front of him. He says, thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? What have you done? Another question. Pilate was full of questions. His question, of course, am I a Jew, was a, contempt, a contemptuous one, a, a disrespectful one, as it were because it reflected his Roman bias against the Jews and his scorn of the Jewish religion and, and Jewish ethnicity. And in, in a word, it was, it was the answer of a proud Roman commander who, who represented an, an empire that held the known world in its grip. But he added something to his statement to Jesus. Your own nation, your own nation has turned you in. Your own people has, have turned you in. Now, here's what's significant about that question. The norm was that the Jews in their bitter and undisguised hatred of Rome were usually ready to encourage anyone, no matter how wild their claims, who would foster and promote their cravings for national independence. They wanted somebody to arise and lead them in, uh, against the Romans. And if they were truly trusting that that person would have been the Messiah himself, then of course he would have the backing of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob.
But to Pilate, there was something unlikely about this. He was now suspicious of the religious leader's motives. And so he asked the other question, what hast thou done? What have you done to be treated this way? And Jesus answered immediately. Verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence, which means he's not, uh, my kingdom is not from here, it's not from this world. Take notice that the Lord did not expand on the spiritual or, or millennial aspects of his kingdom. He didn't talk about that to, to Pilate. And Pilate had no concern or interest in the kingdom except, except where that kingdom might take some kind of military action against Rome. That's what he was concerned about. In any event, Jesus let Pilate know that he was not nearly so helpless as he looked. I mean, Jesus made it clear. He said, if, if my kingdom were of this world, then, then would my servants fight. Now, let, let me make this clear to you. He's not talking about his disciples because they weren't around. They were scared and they took off in all different sorts of directions. He was alone. The servants that he's speaking about are heavenly servants, the heavenly hosts. In fact, he had servants, at least 12 legions of them in heaven. Any one, just even one, of which could have annihilated the whole Roman army. You remember Jesus' words to Peter after, uh, after he cut off Malchus's ear there uh, outside of the garden when they came to arrest Jesus? You remember his words in Matthew 26, 53? To, to Peter, he says, thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? So he's telling Pilate. And, and again, don't forget that Pilate has heard all that has happened up to this point about what's happened with Jesus. Because there's one other thing that I'm going to mention right now. What was keeping Pilate off balance, perhaps, was the report that Pilate certainly would have read by the military tribune who had been in charge of Jesus' arrest. Because he would have known the amazing takedown of the arresting mob by a single word from Jesus' mouth, the name of God, I am, who nevertheless meekly surrendered to the authorities. There were too many people who would have known about that incident not to have reported it to Pilate. No wonder he handled Jesus with, kid, with kids' gloves after that. So Jesus is standing there, beaten, bloody, 
said, if, if my kingdom were of this world, I'd have servants that would fight for me. Just letting you know. Just putting it on the record. But Jesus made no effort to hide from Pilate the fact that he was a king. But he made it clear that his kingdom was a spiritual kingdom. He had not come to establish it by force. It drew its power from another world. It didn't depend on the support of earthly human forces, nor could it ever be overthrown by military might. And as for his own people, the Jews, Jesus had voluntarily put himself in their hands. I mean, some people would think that Pilate is sitting down at some point, you know, maybe saying, I'll be right back. He goes into a room and he just does this to his head. I don't get any of this from this man. And not to mention, of course, and we haven't talked about his, his uh, conversations with his wife who had these dreams about Jesus that she would tell him, don't mess with this guy. John doesn't record that, at least not here. The Jews themselves were looking for a military messiah who would lead them to victory over Rome and the world, making, making Jerusalem the capital of a whole new empire. But this Jesus, Jesus, they followed him from his very beginnings of his earthly ministry, and all they ever heard were the things that he was saying about his kingdom. What kingdom is that? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that has come to set us free from the bondage of Rome? Don't forget that the disciples, even toward the end, still kind of thought that that's what Jesus came to do. Especially because they had seen him ride on the foal of the donkey into the city of Jerusalem on that day when they laid palms out before him. But from the very beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus was scorned by the Jewish religious leaders all because of his meekness. And early on in his earthly ministry again, gathering all those who had followed him, on a hill near the Sea of Galilee, he began to give them the hallmarks of the kingdom. The Beatitudes are the preamble of the hallmarks of the kingdom. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It was the Messiah's message on the mount that began with the words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets, which were before you. That was a different kind of kingdom than the Jews and the Romans were used to. But it was the one kingdom that Jesus came to declare. Now came a very sobering question from Pilate. We see in verse 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Are you a king? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. That's not a denial. You say that I'm a king. You said it. Then he said, to this end was I born. In other words, to this end, to this goal, to this purpose was I born. And for this cause, he said, came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Now when Pilate asked the question, are you a king then? His primary concern was that if Jesus was a king, that he wanted to know the source of his kingdom. He wanted to know the source of his power, the source of his authority, of the kingdom that Jesus was king over. In other words, where did Jesus derive his authority? Where did this authority originate? It is in this one verse that Jesus explains who he is and what kind of kingdom belonged to him. More than likely, Pilate did not understand or, or grasp the significance of Jesus' words, but I'll tell you this, we should. We should. We need to. The fact that Jesus said he was born, Pay attention, people. Please, don't lose this. We are living in a society today of people that don't listen. They only hear certain things. They get riled up emotionally and, and, and whatnot. You know, we look at our political landscape today. People get all riled up. Nobody wants, to, nobody wants to debate. Everybody just wants to just throw things at everybody. Listen to what Jesus said. To this end was I born. The fact that Jesus said he was born clearly indicates his humanity. But he also said he came into the world 
making that a distinction from being born. He also came into the world. For this cause came I into the world, demonstrating his deity. Because he came from outside this time continuum. Also, the fact that he came into the world means that he had, he had existed before his birth at Bethlehem. An important and repeated truth, by the way, in the Gospel of John. We see in John 1, verses 9 and 10, as John has begun this, this great gospel. He says, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Cometh into the world. Notice the phrase. Speaking of the Logos. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came into the world. Now, he came into the world by means of being born in the flesh. But distinctly, he came into the world from another world. John 3, 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So God sent his Son into the world from where God was, the Father was. John 3, 19. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Jesus came to bring light where there was only darkness because of sin. John 9, 39, Jesus himself said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And in John 10, 36, and these, of course, are verses we studied a while back, but in John 10, 36, Jesus said, Say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, you're talking about the Messiah here, or me, thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God. Say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, it was the Father who sent his Son into this world. And if you want to be thorough, then make sure that you write down John 12, 46, because it's another reference to this coming into the world. Or John 16, verse 28. If you're taking notes, write fast. Or John 17, verse 18. Those are all references of Jesus saying that he came into this world from the Father. But in a nutshell now, getting back to the interrogation, in a nutshell, Jesus told Pilate, about the reason for his being born and for coming into this world. Very simply, what he said was that I should bear witness of the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. <clears throat> you know, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. The question today is, are you one of his sheep? Because if you are, then you need to hear his voice. And you'll recognize his voice. And my sheep will know me. That is what he has always intended for his people, even Israel. He wanted them to know him personally. 
Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. In effect, Jesus was saying, my realm, my kingdom, my realm is truth. Jesus was also claiming, by the way, to be the incarnate word of God. He was claiming to be the word of God made flesh. The one who personally embodied truth. And again, John chapter 1, verse 14, uh, there it says, And the Word was made flesh, the Logos was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You all know what that means when I go, and truth. You get to respond. We'll try that again because it didn't work. And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 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 Jesus came to testify to the truth. In fact, we know that Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I am the truth. To bear witness of the truth in a very general sense is also to know this, that he came to bear witness of his truth, of the truth of who he was as the way, the truth, and the life that takes us all the way back to the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and realize that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would point to Jesus as being the creator of all things. Colossians chapter 1. And taking the truth from the very first verse of, of Genesis chapter 1, through all of the Hebrew scriptures, whether to the end of Second Chronicles, which of course was, was, is, is in the Hebrew Bible today, or Malachi, which of course in the, in, the, uh, in the Christian compilation of the Old and the New Testament, the Old Testament ends with Malachi. Hebrews ends with Chronicles. Just set up a little differently, but all the books are the same. The fact of the matter is, he came to testify of the truth that Jesus is from Genesis to Revelation, the Son of God. Jesus is, from Genesis to Revelation, God the Son. Jesus is, from Genesis to Revelation, the creator of all things. Jesus is, from Genesis to Revelation, the Savior of the world. Jesus is, from Genesis to Revelation, the Redeemer. Jesus is the one who delivers from Genesis to Revelation. And this was royal courage in Jesus. This was royal courage in, in the midst of, of the hypocritical religiosity of the Jewish religious leaders and the humanistic authoritarianism of Pontius Pilate and the Romans. In the very midst of all of that, he says, I came to bear witness of the truth. 
And it is to this that Paul the Apostle alludes to in writing to Timothy. When he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and, 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 and verse 13 is, is really our, our, our key verse, but I've given you a few verses before and a few verses after to look at the context of what he says and realize that what he says is important for us to understand about bearing witness. Notice he says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. Now he gave a list before verse 11 of the things that we are to flee. So he says, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. So even that is something that we need to understand is that we are here to bear witness of the truth of Jesus Christ to this world and to this generation. And then he says, I give thee charge in the sight of God, and this is the key verse here, I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things, which means he makes alive all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. He witnessed before Pontius Pilate a good confession. He bore witness of the truth. That is the only good confession all of us have. It is the truth of the Word of God. It is the truth of God the Word, who is Jesus, God made flesh, and dwelling among us. That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only has immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. That is a tremendous, tremendous statement of Paul's. Bearing witness to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. But Pilate asked one more question. Some people believe that he asked it quite facetiously, maybe flippantly, just, what is truth? Y'all have heard that question, right? Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? Now, did he say it in that, in that manner? I don't know. It's possible that he did. It's also possible that he said, what is truth? All we know is what John goes on to say, and when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews. Remember I said last week he was going to in and out, in and out, in and out? And we're not talking about the hamburger place in California? Whatever. He went in and out, in and out. He went out again unto the Jews. And he saith unto them, I find no fault. I find in him no fault at all. What is truth? Do you know that that is the question of a lost world? That is the question of a lost world. There is a little difference, though, in, 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 in the question in Pilate's time and the question in our time. Because in Pilate's time, they philosophically debated what truth was. 
The Greek culture had certainly remained even after the Romans had become the empire over all of the known world. But the Greek culture was still so actively strong, so there were all kinds still of all kinds of debates on, on the issue of truth, because that's what they philosophized about. So it isn't hard to say that, that uh, Pilate may have said that sincerely. What is truth? But in our day and time, that is the question of a lost world, people only wanting truth that fits their lives, that fits their lifestyles, that fits their livelihood. But don't, listen, they're telling us, don't confuse us with real truth. Don't confuse us with absolute truth. Because the world today has been convinced, connived more than anything, but convinced that there is no absolute truth, that every truth is really relative. Which means that even we ourselves could have our own truth. You know, I have my truth, you have your truth. They, you know, just, just don't step on anybody's toes. You think, you think in, in the flesh today that people just are going to try to, you know, evade, uh, or I should say avoid stepping on people's toes? Are you kidding me? People love to step on toes. If everybody who, who had toes that were stepped on would, 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 would yell and scream, we, we couldn't hear anything because all we do, ah! Everybody's stepping on toes. That's the work of the devil from the garden. Did God really say these things? Did God really create the earth in, in, in six 24-hour days? Did this happen? You know, did that happen? Did, did he really say that it's just male and female only? You know, did, did God say only that? You know, did he really just say that? You see, people today are just completely, completely confused. Well, this is my truth. Well, you're not going to be able to stand before Jesus Christ and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I have my own truth. <laughs> What's Jesus going to say? Me too. And I gave it to you, but you've rejected it. How sad that day's going to be for many people. Now for Pilate, he, he, he faced the crowd. I mean, there was some, there was some courage in going back to, to, to the crowd. And he declared that he found no fault in Jesus. But, but that wasn't what the crowd wanted to hear. So they accused Jesus all the more. They continued to accuse him of other things. The crowd accused. Jesus was silent before his accusers. John doesn't state that, but we know that from the other Gospels. Jesus remained silent when the accusations started flying. Lies, most of them. And then the chief priests and the elders solved Pilate's problem. I'm going to do this very fast. I wish we had more time to do this, but I'm going to do this very quickly here. But, but, but the chief priests and elders solved Pilate's problem. I told you to keep your finger in, in Luke 23. Let's go back there and look at verses 4 and 5. It says, Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I want you to notice what he said. I find no fault 
in this man. What is that telling us? Pilate didn't repeat himself. This is this occurrence in John. Luke is recording it. But notice what he says after this. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people. In other words, he's a troublemaker. He stirs up the people. Teaching throughout all Jewry, through all of the Jews, beginning from Galilee to this place. And there was only one word that Pilate heard, and that was the word Galilee. And the thought came to mind. Hey, Galilee. That's Herod's responsibility. So Pilate sends him to, get to Herod. So between verse 38 of John 18 and verse 39, between those two verses, Luke records the events before Herod. Now you can read those later, verses 6 through 12, and, and you learn a couple of things. You know, he, he, Herod was excited to see Jesus, but he didn't like the, the visit. <laughs> Eventually, it tells us there that Herod and Pilate kind of got to be friends again. They might have been friends, but uh, at least they, you know, they became friends. Interesting what happens when you're trying to wash your hands of Jesus. And so, it solved nothing, <laughs> solved nothing for Pilate because Herod sent him back to Pilate. And so in verse 39 now, we pick up. But you have a custom. And don't forget that John is writing at a time where he's in, in uh, exile. Uh, he's writing his gospel in the midst of, a, of the Roman society. And to the Roman mindset keeping Pilate at the center of, of this trial for a reason. And he, he picks up in verse 39, but you have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. And here's the question he asks, another question. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews. And then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. And then John notes that Barabbas was a robber. But in fact, he was much more than that. And I want to deal with that at the beginning of our next study as we enter into chapter 19. But that was the last question. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? You see, the inevitable would happen. The inevitable would happen, and that was that Jesus would not be released, but go to the cross. But then again, that is why Jesus came. That is why he came. So everything 
whether anybody knew it or not. Of course, most of them knew not anything about it, but Jesus did. The greatest wrestlings that Jesus had in the garden were now settled. He was bound to the cross. And he went there for you and for me. He went there as the perfect and pure Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Came to die. To be that sacrifice that would shed its blood entirely for the remission, the forgiveness of our sins. Yeah, we hear a phrase nowadays politically in our country, high crimes and misdemeanors. By simply being born into this world, we were born with a very potential, every one of us, to commit high crimes and misdemeanors against God. In fact, we were already guilty, no matter how cute you were when you were born. You were guilty. And Jesus came to take on himself your sin, your guilt, your shame. And he hung it as a package. He hung it on a tree. And he became the curse for us. The study of Jesus' trials, eventually leading to his crucifixion, should never be taken lightly. This is what he did for us. This is why Paul says to Timothy, live righteously, godly, in this present age, that you might reflect the very witness that Jesus Christ is the truth.